you would, uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 26. That's where we're going to be this morning. Psalm 26. We're continuing our summer series through select psalms, which brings us here to Psalm 26. That's our next one in this series. So I'll go ahead and pray for us, and we'll jump into our text this morning. Lord, we thank you again uh, for the opportunity to gather together as a church family to worship you. Lord, what a gracious gift that is. Um, Lord, we thank you that we get to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ uh, because we've been saved through faith in Christ, a, a gift, the gift of faith given to us graciously by you. And so we thank you and praise you for that as well. Lord, I pray that uh, the centerpiece of our time together this morning would be the one and only hope of the gospel, of salvation through faith in Christ. I pray that that would encourage us, leave us here, encourage, uh, send us out from here encouraged and emboldened to go preach that good news to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so jumping right into our passage again, we'll start with our heading, uh, short and sweet. It says, of David. That gives us a little bit of context. This is another psalm uh, written by David, as many that we've looked at here in this summer psalm series have been. Um, frankly, we don't know a ton about this psalm beyond that. <laughs> uh, but Thomas Constable, in his commentary, summarizes what we can put together from uh, the psalm itself well when he says this. He says, in this individual lament psalm, which is similar to Psalm 25, but does not contain confession, David asked for God's vindication because of his personal integrity. Psalm 26, 27, and 28 all reveal David's love for God's sanctuary and so uncover his love for the Lord. I thought that was a pretty good summary of what we do see, what we can gather from the psalm itself as far as its context and, and kind of overall themes. So that's our context. That's what we know. Starting now in verse 1, in the actual verses here. Starting in verse 1, let's look at verse 1 through 3, which say this. Vindicate me, O Lord. For I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Similar to other psalms we've looked at this summer, David is asking God to vindicate him, i.e. show him to be in the right here, because as David puts it, I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Ultimately, he has done that. And specifically in this particular situation, that's again what he's getting at here, similar to some other Psalms we've looked at this summer. Um, it, it seems like David's enemies, based on kind of what we can put together from the text here, it seems like David's enemies had falsely accused him of some sin or number of sins here. So David is asking God to vindicate him, to show him to be in the right here because of his overall innocence in this particular situation, specifically with regard to whatever he was being accused of. So again, as you see him claiming innocence here, he's talking about in this particular situation in regard to these particular accusations. David is not claiming to be without fault, to be sinless. He knows better than that. <laughs> so just to give us some context. Uh, he, he even goes on to say in verse 2 and 3, or, or I'm sorry, um, yeah, he, he goes on to say in verse 2 and 3, 
uh, prove me, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Again, ultimately, that's what he's claiming here, and specifically, that's what he's claiming here in this particular situation. Now, (laughs) those are the words of an innocent man, of whatever he's being accused of. (laughs) If you look at his words, again, uh, prove me, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Those are the words of an innocent man of whatever he's being accused of. He's basically saying, creator God of the universe, who sees and knows everything, test my heart and my mind, put them on trial, because I know that I'm innocent of what I'm being accused of here. And I know that you know that I'm innocent of what I'm being accused of here. So I'm not afraid of what you're going to find. That's kind of the idea of what David's driving at here. Whenever we find ourselves in a similar situation, church, of being falsely accused of something we're not guilty of, which let me just say, is just one of the worst feelings. <laughs> it, really, it's, it really is, especially just, just in terms of the reality, like I'm a sinner, right? We're all sinners. So there are plenty of things you could accurately accuse me of, but that thing is just not one of them. Like it's just one of the worst feelings when this happens. But whenever we find ourselves in a similar situation of, of being falsely accused of something we're not guilty of, we can rest in the truth that God sees it all. He sees and makes note of all of it. Amen? But on the flip side, i.e. whenever we're rightly accused of something we are in fact guilty of, be that by others, by our conscience, by God's word, and so forth, on the flip side, in that case, there's a warning. There's a warning when we are guilty of whatever we're being accused of. God sees it all. He sees and makes note of all of it. And so take that warning seriously. So if you don't yet know Christ this morning, look to him by faith that you'd be forgiven of all of your sins and saved from the wrath you deserve while there's still time. And if you do know Christ this morning, Let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit wherever we know that we need to and save ourselves the time and the pain in further discipline from the Lord. As we've talked about many times as a church, there's no wrath for the Christian, only discipline. Amen, right? Because all of the wrath that we deserve was emptied onto Christ in his death on the cross in our place. And so there's no wrath for the Christian, only discipline. But... Let's listen to God the first time he reminds us to stop running in the house, so to speak, instead of waiting for him to raise his voice. Amen? Is that fair enough? Fair enough analogy? There's no wrath for the Christian, only discipline, but let's save ourselves the time and pain of further discipline from the Lord by listening to him when we hear him promptly the first time, right? Uh, in, in his word, as, as other people in our lives preach the word to us, Uh, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? Verse 4 through 8, our text goes on. 
says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. So we'll break this down chunk by chunk. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked, meaning... I don't join in and mingle with the wicked in their wickedness. Again, ultimately, and specifically in this particular situation. Right? To give you a picture, I think the idea is this, that that David is driving at. He's saying, in essence, you're not going to find me singing uh, the wicked's worship songs, i.e. participating in their idolatry at their worship service, at their worship services, i.e. at their idolatrous get-togethers. I think that's kind of the picture that's being painted, again, ultimately and specifically in this particular situation. He goes on to say, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. In other words, I prefer your company, Lord, and the company of your people, which I believe is implied in the contrast with the assembly of evildoers described in verses four and five here and in the public worship imagery used here. So uh, I prefer the company of uh, the Lord. I prefer your company, Lord, and the company of your people in worship to joining with the company of the wicked in their wickedness. I think that's what David's driving at here. In other words, I'd rather spend time with you, Lord, and with your people in worship than with the wicked in sin. Again, ultimately and specifically in this particular situation. So church, ask yourself, is that true of me? Is that true of me? Do I prefer the company of the Lord and the company of his people in worship to joining with the company of the wicked in their wickedness? Or has some part of me started to believe the lie that the wicked are having all the real fun? And, and, and some part of me has lost sight of the truth that true joy is in the Lord. Is that true of me? Wherever that's the case, church, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He goes on to say, uh, uh, or specifically, I want to highlight this. He says, I wash my hands in innocence in verse 6, the first part. I wash my hands in innocence, meaning uh, I'm innocent of these particular charges in this particular situation. Again, that's what David's driving at here. To give you a picture, this, I think, helps kind of understand the way he's talking here. Um, Someone who pleads innocent in court isn't saying they're innocent of any wrongdoing ever, just of whatever they're being accused of in that particular case, right? (laughs) Same idea here with how David is speaking in this psalm. Verse 9 and 10, David goes on. He says, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. In other words, God, don't judge me with the wicked who are marked by a life of habitual, unrepentant sin. Because I'm not, both ultimately 
and in this particular situation because I'm innocent of the charges against me, not habitually and unrepentantly guilty of them. So in other words, God, separate me from the wicked in your judgment like by your grace, I've been separated from them in my behavior. I think that's what David is driving at here. And there's some convicting truth in that. Uh, Similarly, church, if we truly know Christ, it should be obvious what our eternal destiny is based on our behavior. Amen? It should be obvious if we truly know Christ that we've been saved and set apart from the world through faith in Christ and are destined for eternal life. Because as we've talked about many times, works don't produce salvation, right? We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, not our works. Amen? So works don't produce salvation, but salvation does produce works. Meaning if we have true saving faith in Christ, that's going to lead to a radically changed life. Amen? Right? So it should be obvious that we've been saved and set apart from the world through faith in Christ and are destined for eternal life for those of us who have true saving faith in Christ by how we live, right? It should be obvious that that's true. So wherever it's not church, be that in our marriages, in our singleness, in our family lives, in our professional lives, in our sex lives, in how we steward our finances, in our priorities and so forth, wherever it's not obvious that we've been saved and set apart from the world through faith in Christ and are destined for eternal life, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And let's seek to live lives that obviously testify that we've been saved and set apart from the world through faith in Christ and are destined for eternal life. Not only because that's the right thing to do, and it is, but for the sake of the watching world that desperately needs Jesus, church. Because to give you an illustration, it's pretty hard to uh, pitch uh, something to somebody, sell uh, somebody on something if your life looks fairly indistinguishable from theirs, right? Exactly. (laughs) So wherever that's the case, to any degree, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Verses 11 and 12, David goes on. It says, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. He says, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, i.e. as opposed to the wicked who continue in habitual unrepentant sin, it's my resolve to continue to do the right thing like I've been doing in this particular situation. And as far as is possible in this life, church, we should resolve to do the same. Right? As sinners in this life, as far as is possible, we should resolve to do the same, to keep doing the right thing no matter what the wicked of this world are doing. Full knowing we're going to continue to fall short of that goal until either we die or Christ returns and our sanctification is complete. But also knowing that whenever we do fall short of that goal, in Christ we're forgiven, in Christ we're declared righteous, and in Christ we're empowered to change via the Holy Spirit at work within us. 
He goes on to say, redeem me and be gracious to me. This is a prayer for rescue, not only from this particular situation, i.e. for vindication, as David prayed for earlier, but in general. It's a prayer for rescue in general, i.e. from all of his distress. And he says here, be gracious to me, i.e. show unmerited favor to me, God. This shows, this is just a hint, by the way, of how to read this whole thing correctly. (laughs) This shows that David wasn't claiming to be innocent across the board. He knew he was a sinner. He's asking for undeserved favor from the Lord, right? This shows David wasn't claiming to be innocent across the board. He knew he was a sinner. He was just claiming to be innocent with regard to these particular charges in this particular situation. That's a hint of that. The fact that he says, be gracious to me. He asked God to be gracious to show him unmerited favor, right? Even though he didn't deserve it, right? He says, my foot stands on level ground, i.e., God, you've kept me from stumbling, Again, in this particular situation regarding these particular charges. So I know I'm on solid footing in my request for vindication here to be shown to be right here because I know I'm in the right here. So I know I'm on solid footing in my request for vindication here. So for that reason and for every other reason that God is worthy to be praised, he then says, in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord i.e. when I'm with the people of God gathered together for worship, I will continue to praise God's holy name as I wait upon his rescue, both from this particular situation and from all of my distress. And all of God's people said, amen, right? (laughs) We should amen David's sentiment there. Now, with all of that said, what's the problem? What's the problem this morning as we examine this passage? Well, the problem, and you may have already caught this, the problem if we go back a bit is that none of us would stand up to the truest test of our hearts and minds, i.e. all of the time in every situation. Amen? None of us would, including David, by the way, who was also a sinner, okay? So that's the problem. If we go back a bit, none of us would stand up to the truest test of our hearts and minds, i.e. all of the time in every situation. Let me give you some examples of just things we've talked about this morning. We don't always walk in integrity. Amen? Right? We don't. We don't always walk in integrity, and we certainly don't always trust in the Lord without wavering. How does just the last year and a half look for you under that microscope? of trusting in the Lord without wavering. Because to be honest with you, church, it doesn't look good for me. And I bet I'm not the only one, amen? (laughs) Just the last year and a half. You know, we don't always prefer the company of the Lord and the company of his people in worship. Sometimes we prefer joining with the company of the wicked in their wickedness, if we're honest. To be honest, church, I gotta confess, sometimes I don't like Christians very much. So I know that this is true for me. I don't always prefer the company of the Lord and the company of his people in worship. Sometimes I prefer joining with the company of the wicked in their wickedness. Sometimes part of me would rather join the wicked in their wickedness than deal with whatever the latest thing Christians are arguing about is. Even if it's important. I'm just confessing that to you. And I bet I'm not the only one with that struggle. Amen? Anybody else? There are times that's true of us. 
We don't always wash our hands in innocence. Sometimes, frankly, we're guilty of whatever we're being accused of because we're sinners, right? And we don't always bless the Lord in the great assembly. We don't always praise God's holy name like we ought to when we gather together with the people of God for worship. Frankly, some of you probably had a dumb argument with your spouse on the way here. And I know that because I've done it, all right? Like, that's not, that's not coming from a place other than I've done that before. We've done that. We've gotten in arguments that were dumb and avoidable and then come here and you're just not in the right frame of mind, right? We're sinners. Sometimes this happens. We don't always bless the Lord in the great assembly and, and, and praise his holy name like we ought to when we gather together with his people for worship. And we deserve to be judged with the wicked because of it. We do. We deserve to be judged with the wicked because of it, because according to God's perfect standard of righteousness, on our own, we're not righteous, church. We're wicked, amen? And because of that, on our own, we deserve hell because of our sins. That's the truth. That's the problem this morning as we look at this text. But here's the good news this morning, church. Christ lived a perfect life in our place, He always walked in integrity, always trusted in God without wavering, always washed his hands in innocence, and never joined with the wicked in their wickedness. Christ lived a perfect life in our place, and he died a sacrificial sacrificial death to pay for all of our wickedness, all of our failure to walk in integrity and to trust in the Lord without wavering, and so forth, in in full, to pay for all of our wickedness in full in his death on the cross in our place, both of which, his perfect life and his sacrificial death to pay for all of our wickedness in full in his death on the cross in our place, are counted to us, church, by faith. That through faith in him, we could be saved from the wrath that we deserve because of our wickedness, because it was already emptied onto Christ in full in his death on the cross in our place. One day, completely, through faith in him, we could one day be completely rescued from all of our distress when either we die or Christ returns, whichever comes first. Because we've been made worthy of such a fate through faith in Christ. We've been made worthy of rescue from all of our distress through faith in Christ because his perfect righteousness has been counted to us by faith, right? And in the meantime, through faith in Christ, we could walk in integrity more and more each day by the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to do that because of Christ's death to redeem us as a people for himself through faith in him, right? In the meantime, we can walk in integrity until either we die or Christ returns and our sanctification is complete more and more each day by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the good news. Now, with all of that said, how are some ways we can respond to this text? Just to summarize a lot of what we talked about this morning. Four things I wanna leave you guys with as we head to a close. And a lot of these are review. I think God and his providence, we've been going through a lot of similar themes with every psalm that we've looked at as of late. And again, as I talked about a few weeks ago, I'm I'm trusting God's providence in that. Apparently we need to hear these themes over and over again right now. Amen? So with all that said, how do we respond to this text? Four things I want to leave you guys with as we close. One, if you don't yet know Christ this morning, look to him by faith that you'd be saved while there's still time. 
Because if you don't, then you won't be found worthy of rescue from all of your distress when either you die or Christ returns, but worthy of wrath because of your sins if you never look to Christ by faith. So look to Christ by faith that you'd be saved from the wrath that you deserve because of your wickedness while there's still time. If you don't yet know Christ this morning, look to him by faith that you'd be saved from the wrath that you deserve because of your wickedness while there's still time. Number two, go preach the gospel, church, that more sinners would be saved from the wrath that they deserve because of their wickedness as we have been through faith in Christ, for those of us who have faith in Christ this morning, that more sinners would be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and found not worthy of wrath, but worthy of complete rescue from all of their distress when either they die or Christ returns through faith in him, right? Now, I know uh, the world around us has been focused almost exclusively on people's physical well-being for the past year and a half or so, right? Amen? But we know, as believers in Christ, we know the truth that the world has a much greater need, right, than, than physical needs, physical well-being, and that's forgiveness for all of their wickedness and salvation from the hell that they deserve for their wickedness through faith in Christ, right? That's, the, that's their biggest need. It's a much bigger need than their physical well-being. So if that's true, church, and it is, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work accordingly, church. Amen? Right? Let's get to work. Let's pre preach the gospel that more sinners would be saved from the wrath they deserve because of their wickedness as we have been through faith in Christ. Thirdly, as we've talked about many, many times as of late, this seems to be a theme God and his providence wants us to keep talking about. <laughs> and I think it's because it's music to our ears just in a, in a difficult season. For, for essentially everybody, um, for a lot of people, right? As we've talked about many, many times as of late, if you do know Christ this morning, rest in the good news that one day you will be rescued from all of your distress. When either you die or when Christ returns and redeems all things, whichever comes first. And that all of the people of God, i.e. everyone who ever looks to Christ by faith will be delivered from all of their distress when Christ returns and redeems all things. Because Christ will completely defeat all of his and all of our enemies as his people and completely reverse the, the, the curse of the fall once and for all when he returns and redeems all things. So remember that. And remind yourself and one another as brothers and sisters, sisters in Christ of that beautiful truth in the midst of physical suffering and financial hardship and persecution and losing loved ones and, and so on. That we as the people of God through faith in Christ will one day be delivered from all of our distress when either we die or when Christ returns and redeems all things, whichever comes first, and that all of the people of God, i.e. everyone who ever looks to Christ by faith, will be delivered from all of their distress when Christ returns and redeems all things. Rest in that good news, church, for those of us who have faith in Christ this morning. Amen? Fourthly and lastly, in the meantime... <laughs> as we wait on the rescue of the Lord from all of our distress for those of us who have faith in Christ, when either we die or Christ returns, whichever comes first. In the meantime, 
as far as is possible as sinners in this life, let's resolve with David that as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Let's do so. Let's, as far as is possible in this life, let's resolve with David that as for me, I shall walk in my integrity by the power of the Holy Spirit. To make it our aim to keep doing the right thing no matter what the wicked of this world are doing. Again, full knowing we're gonna continue to fall short of that goal until either we die or Christ returns and our sanctification is complete. But again, also knowing that whenever we do fall short of that goal, in Christ we're forgiven, in Christ we're declared righteous, and in Christ we're empowered to change via the Holy Spirit now at work within us. So let's make that our aim, to keep doing the right thing no matter what the wicked of this world are doing until we reach the finish line, until either we die or Christ returns and our sanctification is complete. And let's start church by repenting wherever we fall short in any and all of the areas we talked about this morning together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these gospel reminders, especially in a difficult season for many, if not all of us. We thank you for the good news, this this reminder of the good news that one day everyone who ever believes in Christ will be delivered from all of their distress when either they die or Christ returns and redeems all things. And when he returns and redeems all things, everyone every believer will be delivered from all of their distress completely because Christ will reverse the curse once and for all. So Lord, we thank you for that beautiful news. We thank you for the reminder of that beautiful news in a difficult season. Lord, I pray that that would encourage us and embolden us to leave here and go preach that good news of salvation through faith in Christ, from the wrath we deserve because of our wickedness to a world that desperately needs to hear it, that more sinners would be saved from the wrath they deserve because of their wickedness through faith in Christ as we have been. So Lord, help us to respond uh, with, not only with joy and thanksgiving, but also with boldness, taking the gospel with us as we leave from here, preaching the gospel to other sinners with compassion that they'd be saved as we have been through faith in Christ. Empower us to do so by your Holy Spirit. Again, help us to remember wherever we fall short in any of the areas that we talked about this morning or in anything, Lord, help us to remember the good news that in Christ we're forgiven, in Christ we're declared righteous, and in Christ we're empowered to change. pray all these things in your name. Amen.